morning, everyone. I bet you're gonna laugh. I bet you're gonna shout a little bit louder when the game's on later, right? Right? Come on, I hear y'all shouting earlier, so I bet you're gonna shout later, right? Unless you really don't care, right? You really don't care about the game, just like as much as I really care about the game, because my team is not in the game. So I'll just say I'm gonna watch the game, right? Okay. Well, y'all still don't feel like you're excited. All right. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, amen. Ah, you guys. All right. Hey, Facebook, we welcome you. We're so glad you're with us. It's been a couple of weeks. We weren't together. I was just uh, teasing with Pastor Dennis there. I appreciated his intro. He got me so excited. I told him, I said, I'm about to route to being ready to shout. I was so excited about prayer because prayer does that. Prayer changes our hearts towards God. Prayer is what gets us in tune with God. Prayer is what moves us toward God in such a way that we can hear his voice. And that's what we're going to be talking about And after this Sunday, starting next week, about dangerous prayers, truly trying to hear God's voice. But watch out, as Pastor Dennis said, watch out, because God's going to have to do some surgery on our hearts. He's going to enter in, and he's wanting to do that work. So we're in our last week, as we were trying to do that last week. We are in our last week, uh, forward part five, uh, and we've been talking through um, uh, what we would call Joshua, the first five chapters. I would love to continue with Joshua. Unfortunately, that would be probably about 24 weeks. So we're in chapter five this week, and we're going to talk about where these, uh, these Israelites are now on the east side, kind of moving towards the west. They're taking over the area because God had promised it to them, and they're just passing the Jordan River. They came through that episode, and now they're at Gilgal, just two miles short of Jericho. And as they're two miles short, they're about to get ready for a battle that they don't even realize they're getting in. And God hasn't shown them, hasn't foretold to them what was about to happen. We know because we have the opportunity to look into the scriptures and see the story and see the magnificent work of God once again having to deliver his people because he promised he would. And when he promised he's going to do something, he's going to deliver. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you guys are that convinced, huh? Amen? All right, okay, all right. See, now I'm not just trying to get you to be passionate because I'm a passionate guy. I'm passionate because I've seen God at work. And I believe you have as well. And so it's important for us to recognize that when God is at work, he's at work. And so we have to get ready for the battle. We need to get ready for the battle. If you guys can help me out here, I don't know if this is working or not. And so, um, so getting ready for the battle is ahead of us, Joshua 5, 1 through 12. Let me just share a little story with you, a little, little tidbit of a story. It says, Setting out for Hamburg, Germany one day to give a concert in London, a violinist, Fritz Chrysler, had an hour before his boat sailed. He wandered into a music shop where the proprietor asked if he might look at the violin Chrysler was carrying. And then he vanished and returned with two policemen, one of whom told the violinist, you are under arrest. And he said, for what for, Chrysler said. You have Fritz Chrysler's violin. He goes, I am Fritz Chrysler, protested the musician. You can't put that on us. Come along to the station. So Chrysler's boat was about to sail soon, and there was no time for prolonged explanations. 
So Chrysler asked for the violin and played a piece he was well known for. Now, are you satisfied, he asked. The policeman let the musician go because he had done what only Fritz Chrysler could do. That's not supposed to be a joke. It's a true story. But what he tried to say is that what identified him? He was in a difficult situation. And as he was in a difficult situation, the question was, how was he going to identify himself to a people that didn't know him? How would they truly know that he was Fritz Chrysler unless he played? And what about us? As Christians, who really knows who we are? How are they going to identify us from anyone else in the crowd? If people say you're a Christian, what's different about you and I that stands out? And if someone would question us that we were lying or cheating or we were hypocrites, what would be different? How do we prove to them that our identity is truly in Jesus Christ? Meaning, what is it going to take for us? See, I really believe that Christians have an identity crisis. I do believe, but I ask the question, do they? Do they really have one? LifeWay Research did a study in 2017 that shows that 29% of Americans identify as born-again Christians. 24% of Americans identify as evangelical Christians. 15% of Americans strongly agree with core evangelical beliefs. So what, are, what does it say for the 29, the 24, and the 15? According to this research, it says almost half of the people who identify themselves as evangelical really don't believe what evangelicals are supposed to believe. That's what they found out in this research. He said the idea here is that the term evangelical or born again has come to be a stand-in for a cultural or nominal Christian. Wow. So just saying you're a born-again Christian or saying you're evangelical means nothing unless you and I can show that we're different, that we really truly believe what we say we believe, meaning if we really believe what we say we believe, we're going to live it. Amen? We're going to live it. So if 15% of so-called this percentage that was laid out, you got 53 plus 15 is 68. So 15 of the 68% says, I really strongly believe and live out what I, I believe. That's the difference. See, what does it mean to be identified in Christ? The purpose of the church is to make disciples, Matthew 28, 20. The purpose of the believers is to be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. And the chief purpose for man in Christ is to bring glory to God through the centrality of the cross, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ, Colossians 3, 23. And everything we do, we do it all to the glory of God. So if we think about it, everything should be filtered through the gospel, as we demonstrate God's love, Jesus made, it, Jesus made it clear, it derives from direct obedience to God. He says it in the book of John. John the Apostle made that possible. And so this battle ahead of us is surreal. Everything that we are looking at, everything in which we're trying to work on is surreal. And so it's important for us to recognize that here, as the battle is surreal, what's ahead of us? We don't know. We have no idea what's in front of us right now. We have no clue when we're going to be released again into society without a mask. We have no idea if this virus will ever go away. It probably won't. We won't know how we're going to be able to function. 
So as we look at this battle that's in ahead of us, as we realize and understand and recognize that there is a battle that's before us. So as they were moving forward in this battle, they didn't know what was ahead of them. They had no idea that Jericho was about to come. They had no clue. They didn't know that God was about to tell them, hey, march around the city seven times and then the walls would fall down. They had no idea how God was going to work, but they knew this. They were obedient for that moment. They trusted God. They relied on him. They put their trust in the Lord and saying, okay, God, right now, I don't know what's ahead of us, but right now you're telling me to obey you. And so it's important for us to recognize that as we see this, what is going to prepare us for the battle that is ahead of us? What is going to prepare us? I mean, what is it that we're going to be able to move forward and understand and saying that whatever's in front of us, what are we to focus on? So, so if you're with me, and I hope that you, we can catch up here and, and we can get you guys to see these slides, is that the first one, we are prepared for every battle ahead of us. Here's some things I want to talk to you about. We are prepared for every battle ahead of us when we are pursuing our identity in Christ and not on our impact on culture. Let me say that again. We're, when we pursue our identity in Christ and not our impact on culture. This is important. Joshua 5, 1 through 3 says this, because as they were approaching and they were at, just at the part of Gilgal, just before Jericho, it says, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites and who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they have crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And at the time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbath Halaroth. So let me just stop here and say this, that the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan of the west and also the king of the Canaanites by the sea in the east. So all of this whole area, again, heard, watch that word there, heard. It's a very key word right there. Heard. What did they hear? See, because there's a report. Now, they're not getting on social media. They're not turning on news media, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and any other channel, cable news channel. They're not hearing it immediately. They're hearing reports just as Rahab heard a report and the Canaanites heard a report about the Israelites moving. And as the Israelites were moving in that, they were understanding that they had to hear of a report. And what did they hear? They heard already about the Red Sea and God dividing the sea. And now they hear about, just in recent, that Jordan River now. They realized something was happening. And so they were melted. And the word melted means that they were weakened. They were convicted. In fact, it means in the Hebrew, the idea that it's knocked the wind out of them. Because they saw what was happening. See, the way the Israelites influenced the people around them wasn't trying to become part of the culture. It wasn't joining every social media outlet so you can go and post everything possible known to man so you can get as many likes as you want so you know, let everybody know that you just put your pants on and your shirt on or that you went to and just took a shower. Not every little detail of your life, but the way in which they impacted their culture was allowing God to work in their lives. Watch that now. They were obedient and God was at work. They submitted in humility and God was at work. God said, just follow me. He put a leader in front of them, Joshua. Joshua obeyed. They obeyed. And God did miracles. 
Now, what would that church look like today if God's people would stop focusing on the wrong things and on the right things, which is their identity in Christ and not how they're going to impact their culture through the culture, but how they can impact the culture through the power of God. That's the difference. Because when they heard, when the people heard, then their hearts were melted. I want to tell you something. When I get excited, when Pastor Dennis was talking about prayer this morning, I'm seeing God do a work in just a matter of a couple of weeks in prayer. I've been getting on my knees every day asking God to do miraculous works, and I'm seeing things happen. I'm seeing things that I prayed about about six months ago that's happening personally in my family's life. Not my wife and my children, but my siblings. I've seen God at work. Because God showed me, he even showed me the other night when I was on the phone with my brother, how he answered a specific prayer. (laughs) Because God moves through prayer. And we've got to stop thinking we're going to impact our culture by constantly being online and social media, posting every little detail of our lives or, or just venting our anger on there. That's not going to make a difference. We're not going to make a difference as a people of God when we do that. See, when he said that he wanted them to be circumcised, when he said that he wanted them to be circumcised, it was going back to the fact that he was trying to work out um, this whole idea of the old of Genesis 17, 9 and 4 through 14. That's where it came from. Circumcision was to identify yourself with God as an Israelite people, a people of God, so that the Gentile nations around them could see that these Israelites were different. And how were they different? They were to show forth the love of God through their lives. And so he wanted to mark them by saying they all need to be circumcised. Now, keep in mind, other countries and Gentile nations do it as well. But God wanted to mark it with a covenant. Because with the covenant, that means it's unconditional. God is moving his people ahead. So even if they do disobey, which they do, God still continues to move forward because their disobedience won't stop God from making his message move forward, nor his spirit, nor anything. We miss out when we disobey. We miss out when we miss out on his relationship with him, on intimacy with him, on getting close to him. God's word will forever go forth. It will never go, it will never be in vain, and we'll always move forward. And so it's important for us to understand that when we're looking at this passage, even in Genesis 17, 9 through 14, it says this, that God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. If you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your, uh, of your foreskins, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He, is, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generation. Keep on just saying this, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh, his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant.
And see, circumcision, see, the idea is that circumcision was not just to keep away the infections in a, in a private part of a male. What, what it was for, too, is to show forth the covenant of God that when the foreskin was brought back, it was the flesh that God was bringing back. In the, it was symbolic in saying that God was trying to bring forth the flesh to keep man, the man away from having intimacy with God. And so the impurities of flesh our desires, our cravings, our desires to want to feed the flesh, God's saying, you have to pull that back so that I can set you apart and make a difference for you all around the nations, all around me. So there was a, not just a physical situation that was going on, it was also spiritual. And it's important for us to understand that that's what God was telling these Israelites regarding that. There were special people to reveal his character, reflect his glory, and to represent him as an ambassador. In an article from Whitney Hopler about cultural mandate, she wrote this. She said, cultural mandate calls Christians to embrace their responsibility to create and influence culture through their vocational calling. Christians should, as Henry Blackaby says, watch to see where God is at work and join him. That's where God was at work when they were crossing the Jordan. God was at work and they joined him. She even went on to say further, she states, if you want to make a powerful, lasting impact on the culture, you've got to do more than just consume it, critique it, condemn it, or copy it. The only way to truly change the culture culture is to create something new for it, something that will inspire people enough to reshape their world. People are down and out. People are depressed. People are discouraged. People are deflated in where we're going. People are committing suicide. I just heard a story of a, unfortunately, of a pastor or a 16-year-old son jumped off a bridge and died. Just committed suicide. Just devastating to hear. Brings tears. Can you imagine? Because the young man said, I've had it. How many more people are giving up on their lives? Because they just don't see hope. And they fall into this. They don't see that there's still identity in Christ in the midst of this. I think it's because of this. I think sometimes we just look at ourselves. We look and we, we, we are afraid that we can't fix things. Or we're failing to look to God or join him, as Henry Blackaby says. So we look to our own insecurities or inadequacies and our faults. We look to self as the, as the reservoir to pull these things out. Let me just share, share something with you. Um, If we focus on our faults more than on God's faithfulness, we're depending on ourselves. God didn't call us to do that. Identity in Christ means dependency on God, not independence from God. And that's why we can't make an impact on this culture by ourselves (laughs) with our wisdom or an intellect. We desperately need to depend on God for his direction in our lives because we're depending too much on ourselves. Number two, we prepare for every battle ahead of us by pursuing our integrity in Christ and not our ideals. Our integrity in Christ and not our ideals. Look with me to Joshua chapter five, verses four through seven. It says, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. So he circumcised them all because we understand that the people were in the 40 years were already circumcised. Now this is a new generation. These are their children. So he has them circumcised because they're about to go to battle in Jericho. 
And God said, we got to set them apart and ready to go. So he goes, all the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on their way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So meaning the, the parents, the olders, did not have their children circumcised, which tells you they weren't focused on the covenant. They weren't focused on what God had for them. They didn't focus on what was necessary. And so it says, for the people of Israel walked, excuse me, people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that they would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, this is the promised land. This is what something they were supposed to go to. What was 11-day journey ended up being 40 years. Why? Because of disobedience. How often do you and I, when we disobey, we miss out on intimacy with God, but we miss out on hearing God's voice to what he wants us to do. And then we feel like we're wandering in our lives. We don't feel like we have purpose. We feel like, man, God, why is all this happening? How come I don't have purpose? Well, I would say this, do a checkup on your life. Do a checkup on your life. That's what I do. I check up on my life and say, where's my prayer life? Where's my time in the word? Where's my time in dependency on God? Am I placing my agenda above God? Do I want my plans to succeed or his plan to succeed? Do I obey him or am I disobeying? Are there areas in my life that I know I'm clearly disobeying that should be obeying, but I'm not and I'm not surrendered? Then we expect God's blessing. And when we expect God's blessing, then we say, well, God, aren't you going to bless me anyway? It's your unconditional love. You're supposed to bless me, right? God's like, but I want intimacy with you. And that's what he's doing here. He's trying to say, I gave you this land. I have it for you. And then it goes verse 7, so their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So God's saying, I want my people set apart. I want them circumcised, not just for a physical uh, you know, surgery, but also for spiritual surgery. God wants their hearts circumcised, cleansed. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. It means cleanse your heart. Set away from the impurities of sin and flesh and cravings that we have, our agendas, everything that we want to do. God is saying, I want you to circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live the greatest commandment. See, God desires intimacy with us. But we can only have intimacy until we said, I want to be set apart for his sake. And integrity carries us through that. That's the key. The integrity carries us through that. John Maxwell, in one of his books, How to Develop the Leader Within You, said this, integrity is not what we do so much as who we are. And who we are, in turn, determines what we do. Our system of values is so much a part of us, we cannot separate it from ourselves. It becomes the navigating system that guides us. It establishes priorities in our lives and judges that we will accept or reject. We struggle daily with situations and that demand decisions between what we want to do and what we ought to do. 
So integrity is necessary. And God was saying that you've disobeyed me, Israelites. Do you recall of the time in the wilderness with Kadesh Barnea and Numbers, in the book of Numbers? I've asked 12 spies to go and to just survey the land. Two came back and saying, we can overtake this land. Ten of them said, oh, no, 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 there's no way. Those people are too strong. Ten of them doubted. They didn't trust God. God said, okay, I'm removing you. I'll take on Joshua and Caleb. They're my leaders. I'll take an 85-year-old and a 90-year-old. I mean, God took two old men and said, I'm going to make a difference, and I'm going to overcome this land, but I'm going to have these leaders to lead. That's the key to understanding that God is calling each one of us, and now he's calling this new generation of people, Israelites, to conquer the land in which he gave to them. That's why we see that even in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 15, it says this, in whom you were circumcised, New Testament believer, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised through faith in the power of working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead and your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. And watch this now, verse 14. By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Let me just, he said it all. It says, and nailed it on the cross. Here's the thing. The word cancel, because the word cancel here is a very important word. When he said, when he canceled the debt, the debt is a certificate of indebtedness. I don't know if you understand, and I hope I understand, that each day when we walk with Christ, we don't deserve it. <laughs> we have to understand that every day because we could not pay a debt. It was impossible for us to pay the debt of sin. And he canceled it, but it was written down. It was a legal document with God because, see, God expected and demanded perfection, and God's saying, nope. I'm not going to take you. You're imperfect. I need something perfect. I'm demanding of it. And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll die in the likeness of man and die in the, in the place of a person, of the one who has debt against God. And Jesus did it. And he says, I canceled the debt. I have forgiven you. I've nailed it on the cross. And the decrees, it's simple. It says this, a formal statement concerning rules or regulations that need to be observed, meaning the law in its perfectness, the law is holy and perfect, could never be kept. So God had to step in in order to save us. We are indebted to God forever. And that should mean this now. You and I should never live with our ideals. We should never think that the American ideals that we live for is above Christianity because America didn't do as much as Christ did for me. Amen? All right, so even if we live in a wonderful country and we are patriots and we believe in what God has allowed us to live in, there are countries that don't have what we have. But yet, as Christians, Christ is what we should be living for. Not our ideals, but too often what happens is this IOU that I owe to God, I have to live for him and not for my ideals. Because what happens is people start getting caught up in the ideals thinking that, you know what? I can show people I stand for morality as a good Christian by fighting for my ideals. Too often in our culture today, I see too many Christians depending and holding on to national ideals 
as a means to establish integrity in our nation. We have placed a great deal of our energy and emphasis on making an everlasting impact in our society through our political lens. Yes, we've been doing too much of that. We have followed our present culture to hijack our attention away from God and our responsibility to be the people of God with an integrity in Christ. We've spent more time viewing our social media more than reading the scriptures, praying, intentionally encouraging other believers in discipleship. I'm sorry, but that's what we've been doing. I'm seeing on Facebook the spewing of hatred from Christians. Now God hasn't called us to that. Amen? So why are we posting it? Do we really think we're going to make an impact in our culture by spewing hatred? God never called us to that. God had to confront me with that when I had practically hatred towards a political figure. And God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, I didn't call you to this. And I fell to my knees in tears, crying out to God, oh, God, have mercy on me. You did not call me to hatred. And so we have to check ourselves. We have to start realizing that the impact we're going to make is through integrity in Christ, our identity in Christ. That's how we're going to be a new people for Jesus today. A person with integrity doesn't doesn't have divided loyalties. That would be duplicity. Nor does he or she merely pretend. That's hypocrisy. People with integrity as a whole, people, that can be identified by their single-mindedness. People with integrity have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. That's what Maxwell said again. I just love that. I'm so passionate because we need to gaze on the Lord. We need to gaze on, on the Lord. It says, if we gaze on our good more than on God's glory, we're depending on our reputation. Are we caught up in how many likes we're going to get on Facebook? The newest post, are we caught up in being a people of integrity? Lastly, here. Number three, we prepare for any battle ahead of us by pursuing our influence in Christ, not our independence. Our influence in Christ, not our independence. Let me just watch this now because the influence was here in verse eight. Here they were going forward. God didn't call individuals forward. He called the people forward. Not individually, but corporately coming together. In fact, it says when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in their camp until they were healed. Meaning everyone had to be circumcised and everyone had to be healed. It wasn't like, no, 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 I'm not going to be circumcised. That hurts too much. No, you needed to be circumcised. Why? Because God's called you to it. And when God calls you, he's saying for everyone to be a part of it. And then he says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, today... I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What is the reproach of Egypt? Was their disobedience at Kadesh Barnea. That was the reproach. They were known with God to disobey. If you want to look at a psalm, look at Psalm 78. If you want to look at another psalm, Psalm 95. Because this, Kadesh Barnea, has all to do with the book of Hebrews that you see in the New Testament. The five warnings of Christians. And disobedience and unbelief is what plagued the people of God in the Old Testament. And that's what ultimately will plague us unless we say we're going to stand. But at this point, God said, I am removing that reproach. No longer is it on you. I'm letting it roll away because you have gone through the Jordan River. I'm circumcising you and you're moving forward for the kingdom of God. 
And he goes on, he says, and now that day, the place is called Gilgal to this day, which means a rolling over. And so it was important for him to see that their influence was done only through the power of God. Individuals, as I mentioned, are not going to make the whole of a church unless every individual is a part of it. Because often happens in the New Testament church today is what we call the 20-80 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And 20% of the people even give towards 100% of the work. I mean, if you see that. And what happens is we have the faithful few that do that. But we need everybody in it. Why? Not because we want you to feel like there's this legalistic approach. you got to join the church. No, because we don't want you to miss out on intimacy with God. We don't want you to miss out on the blessing of God. We don't want you to miss out on how awesome he is and how he can work in your life and he can work in our lives. All of us together, that we want to come together so we join everybody working together toward a goal, which is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. If the church is the agent to reach the lost, then we need to all work together and be passionate about it. We can't be focused on preferences. We can't be focused on politics. We have to be focused on our passion for Christ. And where does that come from? When we see that our influence is going to come when we work together. And our camaraderie, cohesiveness, and, t- and team spirit is what's going to get us moving forward. I don't want you guys to just sit back. I want you to be in there so we can go together and we can work together and we can love God together and we can love with all of our hearts. I don't just want a couple of you. I want everybody in there because that's what makes a team and that's what makes us win together as a team. And that's what we have to do. Too often we hear, uh, who, are they, who are they to tell me what to do with Christianity? We live in America, and I can do whatever I want to do. See, that's independence. <laughs> because we have such an individualistic mindset here in America, that's independence. We're afraid to infringe on people's business. So we kind of ask it almost like an option. Hey, would you mind getting involved with church? Um, you know, we really have a cool little program here. No, get involved in church. You're called. This is what you're here for. You're a child of God. Get involved. It's not an option. We're called of God to do it. I'm not calling you. God is calling you. And so each of us need to be a part of it. We've got to challenge the people in our culture to do so. We watch TVs, movies, reality shows, social media, and news media, and the perspective is clear. We're constantly attacking others for any questions. We can't do this anymore. Guys, it's time to get serious. We've got to roll away any approach in our lives. We've got to get serious about the kingdom of God. We can't look for other people's validation. We have to look to God's validation and his evaluation in our lives. It's important to understand that. It says, if we value people's validation more than God's valuation, we are dependent on our ego. Not an egomaniac. I'm not referring to that. Not a narcissist. Ego meaning just depending on self. Depending on people feeding our ego because we need to be lifted up. Wouldn't it be wonderful we depend on God rather than our independence and see God do an amazing work in the midst of his people. That's what was happening here. They were moving forward together. They weren't moving forward and Joshua was the only one who was leading them. They were together with passion moving forward towards the battle. I believe that our greatest impact as we move forward to our battle is never accomplished alone but rather together. We've got to do this together. 
That's why in verses 10 through 12, it says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, just two miles short of Jericho, they stopped. They stopped to be circumcised. They needed to be healed. God held off their enemies. They were about to go into battle. And then they kept the Passover. What did the Passover remind them? Of God's deliverance for their people. An old past that kept them moving forward. An event that happened in the past that kept them moving forward. What happened in the past for us? Jesus. What happened in the past for us subjectively? He saved us from our sin. What keeps us moving forward is when we realize how he delivered us. And as he delivered us, it gives us motivation to move forward. But I don't just want a few individuals. I want all of us together passionate about moving forward. So they did the same thing on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plains of Jericho. And on that day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. So they were established in the land. God gave them the land. They were able to make it their home. They're now testifying how God did it. And then it goes on to say this in verse 12, and the manna ceased. Because the manna was good for the wilderness, but they don't need it anymore. Why? Because it was the past. Now they gave, God said, I gave you the land. You can grow your produce right here. I gave you this. Now you don't need manna from heaven anymore. I've gave you everything you need now. And he says, I ceased that day. After that, they ate the produce of the land, and they were no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of the Canaan that year. So they were ready for the conquest, but they overcame the land on the east side. That's what God's calling each one of us. God's saying to us, what are our greatest pursuits? Should they not be established in Christ rather than our individual agendas or American ideals or in this culture and how we can be liked by all the people in our culture? We know it comes only through our pursuit and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our greatest impact is if we could die to self, die to our cravings, die to our desires, die to the things that have kept us back from being intimate with God, to take a checkup now in our lives and to saying, how can I be a part of this new generation of Christians? That's why we're going to prayer. We're saying, God, set us up. Lead the way, Lord. Show us what you want for us. It's unprecedented territory, uncertain at times, but it's exciting to see what God's gonna do. But are you ready? See, I wanna be ready for the battle. And we need prayer. This isn't something you can say. You may walk away here today and say, nah, you know, Bruno, yeah, okay, that all sounds good and great, but you're really pushing on me a little bit. Because see, this is what I think we do sometimes. We set boundaries on God. Okay, God, I'll do this much, but after that, it's all me, 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 me. It's my time. And I say, no, no, God's saying limitless boundaries. Just say, here I am, Lord. I want to be used of you. And I think God's calling us to that. So I want to encourage you. What's your greatest pursuit? What is God calling for you. I think our greatest pursuit as the people of God here in the church is to die to self and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today that you are a God that loves us deeply. And Father, we're just thankful that you've given us a moment to be recognizing how important this is right now, more than ever, to be a new people for a new generation. And so I pray that today you would encourage our hearts to live a life new for your kingdom's sake. God, we're about to celebrate a baptism again. Thank you, Lord, for a life brand new, a new in Christ. 
And I pray that as we see the Watham family with Johnny, John the father leading his daughter, I just pray this would be a great momentous occasion for all of us to celebrate in. God, be glorified as we look to you even now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.